Welcome to A Command of Her Own, a Star Trek podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin. And I'm your host, Jen. This week, we're discussing the season two premiere of Star Trek Discovery, which is the episode titled Brother. Yay, it's back. I'm so excited it's back. Yay. I know we're going to have a lot to talk about with that, but before we jump in, I just wanted to put uh, two bits of general Star Trek news out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Recently, it was released that they are going to be working on a Section 31 show starring Starring Michelle Yeo. Yay! And that is going to have... um, Erica Lepolt and Bo Yun Kim as the showrunners, and that's who Ooh. we were talking about as last time. The writers, they only had like one credit on season two, but one of them had the listing and the other did Anyways, so they are still working together, um, and they are going to be heading up the show. Exciting for a couple reasons, because it's going to be centered around a mature female, awesome martial artist, an excellent actor, and a person of color, and it's going to have two women showrunners, which I think is new for Star Trek. So, I did notice that Bo and I think her partner, her writing mm-hmm. partner, were in the credits for as producers for Discovery. For Discovery, yeah. Yes. I mean, I don't know what that means when you have over 10,000 producers. <laughs> I was going to say, that's kind of the running joke about Discovery, is that everyone's a producer. Like, how do any decisions get made? Whatever, it's fine. I, I don't know. It's like a committee. It's a producer. Actually, maybe that's good. Yeah, maybe. <sighs> I don't know. So far, Anyways. based on <laughs> season two, episode one, I think it's good. That's fair. That's fair. The second bit of news, which hasn't really made a big splashy news, so maybe I just missed the official announcement earlier, is uh, in an article I was reading, they mentioned that there's not one but two animated series in development. One is the Lower Decks uh, animated series, which we've talked about before, and the other one they just simply listed as planned for a younger audience. So I'm very excited about that because that I might actually be able to watch with my kids. So, they were actually very, my kids, they know I love Star Trek. And so they always try and like share in that with me. That's nice of them. Because we're so saturated by Star Wars content, they often like miss and hit Star Wars instead. That must rile you up. (laughs) I try and just keep it nice and level. But yeah, I'll be walking along and they'll just see something that says Star Wars, right? But they'll just see the first word and i'll be like oh mom mom star trek and i'm like no no that's that's star wars but i love that you're like keeping an eye out for me it's very cute it is it is um so that's it for the major news uh now a bit of production info about the season two opener mm-hmm. it was written by gretchen J. Berg and aaron harberts and ted sullivan uh, Berg and Harberts are the former showrunners. They got replaced partway through season two production. And Ted right. Sullivan has a couple writing credits from season one. He was listed as a writer for uh, Lethe and what's past his prologue. And this is directed by Alex Kurtzman. I also noticed when I was watching it last night that it ran 59 minutes and 51 seconds, which is super long for a tv show Mm -hmm. 
most like hour long TV shows, at least back pre streaming, uh, were always sort of capped around 46 minutes. Yeah. So you had to leave like 15 minutes for commercials. Mm -hmm. So, hey, that's sad. Um, and this was almost an hour on the dot, which I like. They, it, it didn't feel long. They packed a lot in. They packed a lot in. And I'm also not sad that stories now have to plan themselves around commercialization. Um, going back now to stories that were like shows that were done in that format, it feels so janky when you're streaming it. And there's obviously a commercial break there. Yeah. And they have that like <laughs> outro, intro, dramatic music kind of stuff. And yeah, so I like that stories now can just concern themselves about the flow of the scenes and the story and everything that's happening instead of, oh, we have to wrap this up because a commercial has to be inserted here. So, yeah. I don't necessarily think that one is better than the other other than the fact that I hate commercials um, and that we get we or we can possibly get more story out of the, these ones that aren't planned around commercials. Mm -hmm. I just think it's a different challenge for the writers. Like some are done really well. That's fair. That's fair. Um, I guess it's also extremely noticeable in a lot of Star Trek Next Generation, which is what was immediately coming into my mind. Right. Just because they would often have, like, a dramatic standoff right before the last commercial break. Right. While I was, I was mostly thinking of Buffy that would a lot of the time end on a good one-liner or, like, a good reveal, you know, and it was usually well done. Right. Right. Yep. Different shows, different sort of, I guess, structures and formats that they think about. Either way, no commercials, better. Yes. Um, okay, so shall we start our discussion of Brother? Well, first, let's just say, did you like it? I did. Yes. Did you like it? I loved it. It was very good. I watched it at like one in the morning last night, mm -hmm. and I was not like, oh my god, I wish I could just go to bed, uh, you know, or anything like that. I mm -hmm. just enjoyed it beginning to end. It didn't feel long, even though I was very tired. And, y you know, it was mm -hmm. just really good. Mm -hmm. And I liked mm -hmm. it a lot. I'm right there with you. I watched it when it came out Friday evening. And then I actually tried to download it to my device because I was going to try and watch it at another point on the weekend when I was away from home. And my device had an error. So I got about five minutes in, I paused it and went back to it. And they're like, you don't have anything downloaded. What are you talking about? Which made me angry, but I managed to watch part of it again today. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, as our, as some people know, I was out of the country all weekend and had to wait because like I tried signing up for CBS All Access. I tried something. <laughs> I, I just could not fucking get it while I was not in Canada. Oh, yeah. And I was very upset. And. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like sometimes when you travel, you're meeting up with people who live there. And then it could have been like, oh, can we sign? Like, but you weren't even doing that on this trip, really. Right. So. No. Yeah. And our like our Airbnb didn't have a TV. And then I stayed in a hotel one night and I was like, maybe I can find something. No, I stayed in a really crappy hotel and it had like three channels. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's too bad. Where should we jump into this? Um, I guess let's start at the beginning with we, we start off with a story about a message hidden in space. Yeah. Um, we start off with at first I was a little 
trepidatious about the episode because we get what seems to be possibly flashbacks with a voiceover, which tend to be two things that don't go with a really strongly written story or with a really confidently written story. So at first I was like, oh, but it, I enjoyed it as a viewer. And I think it was a little bit different as a voiceover just because they weren't voicing over the action of the story. It was a little bit more like a prologue, which again, you know, some people love prologues, some people don't. I tend to not like prologues, but I'm hoping that this is going to be something that sort of sets up an arc for the season. Yeah, um, I liked I liked seeing, hmm, I do like that it worked as a setup both to the plot and to what I expect is going to be a relationship that we are going to be delving into this season between Michael and Spock. Yes. And it didn't feel like a prologue to me, you know, it didn't feel, it didn't feel contrived, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I liked, I liked the story that she was telling with the visuals that happened uh, and how they were sort of echoed at the beginning there when Spock threw the dragony stuff into the air mm-hmm. and then not to get ahead of ourselves, but then re-echoed at the end of the episode. Like that just came together very nicely. It felt much more artistic than something that was put together because people might not get enough information, right? Like we didn't need the the story, but it it is a nice backdrop see if you know what i mean like i guess but i thought it worked the whole scenes worked better with the story no no i mean like technically speaking the plot of this episode we didn't need any of those intro flashes in the black and white we didn't need burnham voicing over a story uh, a fable like we Mm -hmm. didn't need any of that to tell the the events of this episode I guess. Um, I mean, like, you could have started from the Sarek and Amanda flashback. But what I'm saying is, it it felt like it was more like an artistic addition to the story. Right. Rather than, like, if it would have been a voiceover of Burnham, um, you know, telling about how she felt coming into Sarek and Amanda's home and meeting Spock, I wouldn't have liked that at all. But they do- didn't do it as, like, an info dump. They did it just as, like, we're going to set this up and frame it with this analogy. Mm-hmm. Is, I guess, what they, what the best word I can think of at the moment is, but, so it felt artistic. Okay, I, I have two questions yeah. that I'm hoping that you, as the Star Trek expert, can answer mm-hmm. for me. Okay. So when I was taking my notes here, mm-hmm. I wrote down one that I think is very incorrect. Mm-hmm. Does the family have like a last name because when I was taking my notes, I remembered that they sometimes call him Mr. Spock. And so I wrote down something about Michael being taken in by the Spocks. And then I was like, that can't be right. (laughs) I believe they just have the single name. Okay. They've only ever referred to Sarek as Sarek. Spock as Spock. If there's other names there, they're not ones that are shared outside of like there might be like uh, very intimate fam familiar editions that you would only use right but then i will continue to call them the spocks okay um 
the other thing was that at one point, Amanda to Michael says, I bless you, Michael, all my life. What does that mean? I don't know, but this seems like a good point part for me to jump in with one of my critiques of the show and Star Trek as a whole is that they don't seem to realize their own bias of Western religion. Now, in in the scene, I think that it's a a Vulcan tradition, maybe, um, because Vulcans do have a spiritual practice. But at later in the show, I think somebody uses like Jesus Christ or something as a as an what is the word epithet or something. And there was an interview with Lorca or Jason Isaacs before season one <laughs> aired Lorca. about Lorca and how he was trying to get like a catchphrase for Lorca and that he wasn't allowed to say like, God damn it or anything like that because there's no religion in the earth of the future. And how it's like, but then like they don't even take it out entirely well enough just because we are so steeped in that bias. It's so much part of our language. Yeah. It, it's a tiny nitpick just because on the one hand, they were like, no, you can't use a reference to God because, you know, humans have evolved past religion. But then in common parlance, they're leaving in little things. So it's like either be like strict about it and like change the, the epithets like Battlestar Galactica did and a few other shows I'm sure have done or don't you know, pick that apart for that character. Right. So we don't know what that means or why she said it or like, even just from like a sentence structure, it it doesn't make sense to me. Like, no, I bless I you, Michael, all my life. You just met her. Like, I don't, I don't know what was going on there. Yeah, I'm not sure. Anyways, I, I do like the kid that they got to play young Spock because he looked like such a little snot. Yeah, he looked a little psycho, didn't he? He yeah. looked a little intense. And bratty. Yeah. For sure. And I liked when they first go into his room, which was large and empty. Like, what? Anyway, whatever. I Uh, think that's very Vulcan architecture. Like, one of the things that jumped out to me in these flashbacks, which were there in some of the flashbacks from season one as well, mm -hmm. was that they used deeply saturated colors. Right. But and so it was so striking. You've got the red flowers, the incredible red dress that Amanda is wearing, and she symbolizes like emotion and empathy and heart. And it's set against like the gray of Sarek, and they move through this brilliant blue hallway. Mm-hmm. And then they juxtapose that with Spock's room, which is like mostly wood toned, but kind of an orangey toned. I and- just don't see the logic. In having a giant bedroom that is empty. There were things on the shelves, and I did try and zoom in on them in one of the pictures to see if I could make heads or tails of any of the things, but I could not. And there was a 3D chess board, chess set in his room as a child and in his quarters later on in the ship. Is that important? He does play 3D chess in the original series. So... They're they're making it consistent. They also, um, when they walk into Spock's room, they play the theme, the opening theme. Oh, to the show? Yeah. That was one of the other things that I wanted to go back and like rewatch and study through as I thought they used really good music in this episode. They did. It was great. I honestly, oh, 
I feel so unlike myself. I have no idea who does the music. This is like my thing. I'm going to have to look this up. Possibly. In general for the show? Well, like music in TV and movies, not just Star Trek, but in general, it's like my favorite bit. I tend to have, like, I tend to not have a very good memory for people in music and song titles. Hold on. I'm just looking this up. Yeah. I, th- I want to say Jeff Russo. You are correct. Jeff okay. Russo. And possibly some other people. Anyways, I will... Uh, looks like there's also an Alexander Courage? Courage? Yeah. Who's done some of the music? That sounds very familiar. That may just be a credit from the original theme. Oh, okay. Um, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, because he is dead. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, so the music was beautifully done. The visuals were beautiful. Um, I didn't have so much trouble with the big barren room for Spock, uh, simply because I think it's much more in tune with Vulcan philosophy and Vulcan architecture that I've seen other places. The barrenness, absolutely. I just thought, what? why do they... They seem to have a lot of luxury in their home, and I think that that kind of goes against what I know of Vulcan culture, which admittedly is very very little Hmm. i wonder if it also partially is influenced just by their uh planets geography and such because it is a very arid world so it may just be that their population doesn't have a lot of you know size constraints so maybe this is a very typical room and it's partly built that way for heating and cooling purposes or something but maybe but Sarek is a big important person on Vulcan. No, I know. I'm not saying that I I'm sure that they have money or whatever, but mm-hmm. and status and yeah, status, yeah. Yeah. I just uh, from what I know of Sarek, I can see where that would maybe encourage him to go the opposite with their living quarters. Hmm. This is not important yeah. at all. We can just move on. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so I like the intro to Little Spock. I hope that it is always done in this method, because I'm pretty sure we're going to get more flashbacks through the series. Mm -hmm. But I hope he mostly doesn't speak. Just continues to stare in a snotty-like manner. Yeah, I I wanted to slap his face. I just think that, you know, the cold, silent stare is going to do more than potential uh, voices and lines of dialogue. I'm very interested to learn more about their relationship in general. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially because at one point, even Sarek, when he's talking about potentially seeing Spock, he had said that he never expected to see him again, which is also consistent with the nature of their relationship in the original series. All right. It just seemed that that line seemed odd to me because he says I had not expected to see Spock again. And I was like, like ever don't you guys live for hundreds of years like yeah it's hinted at in the original series that there was an estrangement i get that but i mean their family like hundreds of years they were never gonna he never thought maybe he'd reach out and try to try to bridge the like it just seemed that's emotional yeah it just seems crazy to me that he would say that but i don't know yeah well Anyways, let's jump forward to 
the here and now when they're on Discovery's bridge and they get right to back into the action. Mm-hmm. And we have the first of many great Tilly scenes. Yeah. And yeah, aside from that being like a really great Tilly scene, I guess they do just sort of, you know, establish communications and then jump into the credits. Now, did you notice the differences in the intro credits? Of course I did, Jen. There were some <gasps> angels of the red variety. There mm-hmm. was Anson Mont. I have no idea how to say his name. In the credits, there was 10,000 producers. <laughs> yep. Uh, a couple of my thoughts on the credits. Mm-hmm. The angel that they had in the credits was very reminiscent of the what is going to be known as the symbol for the Romulan Empire. And I don't know if they're doing that on purpose or if it has a specific meaning, but that's what popped into my head when I saw it in the credits. And that's also like Romulans and Vulcans are sort of like distant relatives. Right. So if there's something that's going on with, like, Spock's dreams and Vulcan mysticism type stuff, it is very possible that it might have some sort of link somewhere as well to Romulans. And then they show a Vulcan salute, and there's a thing on the person's the palm of the person's hand. I noticed the salute, but I didn't notice something on the palm of the hand. Yeah, it's, like, I'm not sure if it's a tattoo or something burned in there or something like that. And then they also had an allusion to the Section 31 um, when they showed the comm badges. Mm-hmm. One turns black, oh. like it gets dark, which was is going to be the Section 31 comm badge. So yeah, um, those are a few of my thoughts with the changes. And oh, and they had a really good focus shot on like a command chair as well. Right, yes. So. And then we get to them in the... Um... Oh, God, you're making me describing things in the beaming room. I got nothing. Transport. Um, (laughs) They go to the transporter room. Yes. Okay. Where and they have that lovely little walk down the hallway with Saru and Burnham where Saru straight up just like leans over and sniffs Michael. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was really good. And they talk about their siblings, which I think is going to become a running theme. Yep. And then they meet Captain Pike. I do want to mention, just because yeah. this is the first time I've seen somebody else with this thing, I wrote a note here that says, in Craig Caitlin tradition, dude has a visor. Like, what's his face? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the part where they walk past that guy with, with the prototype visor, like, Jordy wears Jordy, in the next yes. generation. All <laughs> I could think board. of was, like, friend of data. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, accurate. Yeah. Accurate. Poor Jordy. Yeah, so then we meet Pike. And what did you think about Pike? I loved him. I know, me too. It was so good. Oh, originally, almost, uh, my first note here was like, now that we get the whole scene with Linus in the elevator, I actually liked it so much more than in the trailer because we see like what they're talking about and how he sneezes all over that smarmy little bitch. Oh, yes. Yes, I know. That was way better with the context and knowing more about who who he sneezed on. Yeah. Made it way better. And putting it like sort of in the middle 
as because in one of the trailers that we watched, it like was one of the last bits. Yeah. And I just I didn't like that choice. Um, but yeah, the elevator scene wasn't as bad. It was very short. It was over quick. Um, I love the introduction introduction to Pike. I think he was a little bit reminiscent of Lorca's attitude. Um, we get reference to the new uniforms, which of course are the link to the classic uh, original series, and then later on to the next generation, more colorful uniforms. Yeah. I, I Oh, just, just to like mm-hmm. f- follow my journey with um, Smarmy Little Bitch Dude here. Oh, yeah. His name is Connolly, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the first note that I wrote about him was, that he seemed like the most bland bro dude I've ever seen, and I assume he will die before the end of the episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, we'll talk more about that when we get to that part, because... Yeah, I just wanted to state for so the record, good. I knew right away. Did you know right away? <laughs> yes. Okay, so we get Pike onto the ship. He has to be verified. We get another absolutely adorable Tilly line. <sighs> George compliments his beautiful nail beds. The problem with Tilly, like I love, I love Tilly, don't get me wrong, but mm-hmm. I suffer from real bad secondhand embarrassment. So some first scenes, I'm just like, oh God, Tilly, I can't take this. I can't take this. But I still love her. But mm-hmm. somehow, mm-hmm. but I'm like, I, I, uh, it makes me feel so uncomfortable. No, no, it's very cringy. That one and the first one were cringy parts. I think those were the only two really cringy ones this episode. Yeah. I think the rest of Tilly's scenes were actually really good. She got to really show competence. Yeah. Which was nice. Um, We get... Oh, and I love that Pike pranked her. Yeah, that was good. Uh, I really... The only thing I would say I dislike about Pike is his little command line of hit it. Really just fell flat for me. I didn't mind it. Okay. That's just a personal thing, then. I could live without that. And then we get some nice Stamets and Culber. Yeah, that was sad. Yeah, yeah. But then we get Tilly drunk on power, <laughs> which I highly relate to. <laughs> yeah, that was that was kind of cool. And we learn out that we learn that uh, Cassilian divas are super extra. Okay, that whole story just seemed unrelevant and dumb. <laughs> well. That was one of the things between the two was that, like, you know, Stamets only listened to that opera because Culver liked it. No, I get that. Just this whole story about how they stabbed themselves and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, why? Like, what? <sighs> what? Whatever. See, the I story of the divas, like, finding out that a bit about the divas, I'm like, that is so Stamets, though. <laughs> like, that just seems like he would be so into that. So... Anyways, do, do they go to one of these concerts, listen to the music, and then watch the person die on stage violently? Like, do they stab themselves right there? I guess so. Like, that's fucked up. Yes. And puts a whole different spin on Culber as a person. That he wants to go listen to some good opera and then watch somebody die violently. He's a doctor, Jen. Yeah, maybe they go and, like, revive them afterwards. I don't know. Well, then what would be the... Uh, <laughs> Why couldn't it just be that they then quit? I mean, I guess that wouldn't have like it just it was a dumb story and I didn't like it. Okay. Um, but we both agree that at Stamets that Tilly is incandescent. Yes, but then he's mean to her and he loses a little bit of my sympathy. I thought that was very much in keeping with his general 
prickly nature. No, I know. It's just, you can be prickly to other people, not Tilly. Well, I think that Tilly's making him feel things. No, I understand why. I just, I am personally in the business of protecting Tilly. Okay. Um, And then we get more flashbacks. And we also get more Alice in Wonderland, which I liked. I liked the return of that and keeping, like, I like, Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of the time if there's big changes between seasons, they -hmm. just ditch everything from previous seasons, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I like that we still have this Alice in Wonderland uh, connection. And I also liked Michael with her mood lighting in her room alone. That was cool. I liked that. I was a little bit joking. All the candles. Maybe everybody's just gone a little extra this season. <laughs> um, It's bringing up all her Vulcan memories. So she sets it up very Vulcan-like. Because that is something that is reminiscent of some scenes with Spock in, in canon. Uh, I guess Vulcans are super extra so. too then. Yeah, well. I thought maybe it was just an Amanda thing, which would make more sense to me. But. Also, well, I mean, it could be an Amanda thing if it's just Spock and Burnham. but That's true. Well, um, I want candles like that where like, it's just like I press a button and there's candles all over my surfaces. See? <laughs> and I press but, a button and they're gone. But would they have a good scent? Like, I wouldn't I want that unless I had a good... I, I love scents in my candle. Okay, well. I'm sure if we can make, you know, essentially magical candles appear, they can come with a good scent. They better. And, like, seasonally appropriate. <laughs> yes. Sorry to be so basic. That's, that's okay. <laughs> um, uh, they have a little moment between uh, Michael and Zarek. Yes. And we get a little bit more about Sarek and for as brilliant as he is as like an ambassador and like I guess a thinker uh I think Sarek's a terrible parent you know like I don't think he's the best dad ever but I also I don't think he's that bad like just the line where he says to Spock and I expect you to be friends I'm like but what if they hate each other these aren't actual like siblings who have like had a chance to grow together. Yeah, I don't know. That seemed like a very dad line to me. Yeah, maybe it's just like a stereotypical dad thing to me, and I know how badly that's gone for generations of people creating toxic people. Maybe, but I don't know. It just that just seemed like I expect you to be friends. That <laughs> that just seemed very parental to me. I guess so. But then we jump back to the ship Mm -hmm. and they're investigating the signal. Mm -hmm. And I loved Pike's roll call. Yep. And where he says, skip your rank, they don't matter. Yep. And I loved that Lieutenant Commander Arium included her rank anyways. Yeah, that was good. Um, So I was just like, oh, oh, I can't wait to meet more about you. I thought in general, all of the dialogue, and I don't know if this was like everybody just was on fire when they were filming or if it was just cut together really well by editors, but it was so good and so fast paced. I thought it was just really good. Honestly, this episode had some of the best editing I've ever seen in in Discovery. It was edited fabulously. Like, I'm sure the writing and the acting was great, too. It was. Mm -hmm. But all the editing in this, some of the 
Sadly, my note just says, man, this this episode had good editing. I didn't bring down any examples. <laughs> okay. But there's definitely one scene where like you go from Burnham standing at a door to her standing at a different door and it's yes. so good. And even just like this with the with the fast paced dialogue. And there was so much conflict in this episode without there really being any ongoing mm-hmm. I can't think of another word than conflict, but you know what I mean? Like there was mm-hmm. They were- that Dora transition was when she was in the ready room talking to Pike, and they walked over to the window, mm-hmm. and then she they flashed to her standing in front of Spock's quarters in the Enterprise. Right, yes, that's what it is. And it was so yeah. good. And just everything in this episode, there was it was a very tense episode, even when there wasn't conflict, which is why you mm-hmm. were always really engaged with it. And mm-hmm. a lot of that was the editing, and it was just really good. Mhm. Mhm. Um then they go into the crazy suicide landing pods. Oh, I do just wanted to mention that oh, yeah. uh Spock no, um Sarek and Michael at first think that Spock chose not to see them. Yeah. And that that was like like a cho- like they believed it. So mm-hmm. that says something about their relationship. Yes. Also, hey, oh, fly good yeah. was a good line. Yeah. Yeah, I like oh, that one too. And where's Madame Red thing? Yes. So many good lines. I loved all that. So then they choose to take these very high speed capable landing pods to try and fly through this crazy debris with strange gravity wells to get to this asteroid moving at 5,000 kilometers per hour. Yep. And I love that Saru is sitting there and his threat ganglia goes up and he goes, really? Are you surprised? Because I was like, yeah, like, hello. Uh, my um, notes here are fucking Connolly, and then oh. more great Tilly and then let's kill Connolly, And then I said, Michael's smile as they launch. So good. Yes. And then yep. how isn't Connolly dead yet? Mm-hmm. And then why couldn't he have just died without taking others with him? <laughs> Sorry, why couldn't he have died without taking others Well, with I mean, him? okay, he didn't kill anybody else, but, like, he affected everybody else's thing. Oh, okay. It was because of him that other things got put in jeopardy. Yes, but he is now yeah. dead, thank- thankfully. Okay, it was, it was funny, because... So, the scene of Pike and the two other crew members beaming over and bits of that were in the trailers, it was in promo shots, and, of course, Star Trek has this thing about red shirts dying. So everyone was like, oh, I bet she's going first, right? So I love that they subverted this trope, especially because um, Commander Non, who is the the female Barzen crew member mm-hmm. in the red shirt, was totally freaked out by this. See, and, and then Connolly was the smug asshole. Um, and then it was like, okay, so they kept like building it up to that expectation. And then... It was like Connolly's there in the middle of literally like mansplaining and being sexist and dies. And I was like, yes, thank you. See, my problem with that is like, I knew he was going to die right away. Like, obviously, he was, I feel like he wasn't wearing the red shirt, but he was the red shirt. He, okay. You know, yeah. like, I didn't, I did not see that as a twist. Obviously, she was going to live and he was going to die. Right. I, yeah. I, I am ready for a fresh Star Trek trope where, the people who ignore good advice from women die. You could argue that Michael should be dead then. Well, I was thinking more of the Admiral in season one. Oh, that's fair. And like the security officer person as well. Yes. I think 
I think that's probably why I thought he was going to die. He uh, reminded me of the security officer, dude. Okay. And then um, after this, I took a note that said such good teamwork, which with that getting them, I just thought this was a really good, lots of teamwork here. Um, oh, yeah. And then after this, I, I pretty much stopped taking notes and just watched the end of the episode. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so here we have this incredibly high stakes rescue where Burnham and Pike basically both uh, eject from their landing pods and Burnham has to catch him. And I'm sure that somebody somewhere is writing a critique about the physics of all of this and the impossibility, but don't care. Oh, this was the such good teamwork bit where, like, Burnham says, I'll catch him. You control my thrusters. Just get us there. And everybody was on. And we had that great. Yeah, this is the really good bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This is the scene from the trailer where they said, you know, like, we've got you. And right, ladies? And then they're both like, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah we've absolutely. totally got you. Yeah. Um, it was... Really well done. Um, they land on the asteroid, and then we see them exploring a little bit, and then these sentry drones prop up. I have a bit and, of a problem with the physics here, because they're just, like, walking down that tunnel, and then they're like, oh, can we breathe here? And, like, they didn't go through an airlock. So, no. But Well, uh, they talked about their them detecting an uh, atmosphere on it. And Connolly was like, well, that doesn't make sense. It shouldn't be creating enough gravity to have an atmosphere. So you think so, she was creating an atmosphere? Possibly. I don't know. But, like, they couldn't breathe outside of the setup that they had there. I'm just saying they should have gone through an airlock. Mm. It's fine. Okay. It's not important. Okay. Move on. Um, I loved Commander Reno. Mm-hmm. Uh... I thought her entire scene and sequence was brilliant. Yes. I hope that she is a recurring uh, guest on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I just love how her, she's like, yeah, I'm an engineer. And they're, they're like, and she's like, you know, bodies are just machines. This is not a problem. And she's rigged up all these different ways to keep the injured crew alive. And uh, she had a lot of really good dialogue as well. Yeah, it'll be interesting to get to know her better because... Uh, honestly, she had, she had a line, oh, when, when Pike asked her about the red doohickey, the signal, mm -hmm. and she said, I don't know anything about it, I don't know that I believed her. Hmm. So I'm interested to learn more about this character. The way I'm imagining it is that, like, they crashed on this asteroid, and the signal is, like, wreaking havoc with the gravity and stuff in the whole area. And so I don't think the signal was there when they crashed. And then the signal's just like moving the asteroid rapidly through space, but she's just keeping everybody alive. My doubt my doubts weren't based on what like what's happening. It was sorely okay. based on the way she said it. Oh, okay. I just didn't I, uh, she seemed she seemed tricksy. I didn't get far enough in my rewatch to get those scenes again, but I'll have to keep an eye out for it. Um so then they evacuate, mm -hmm. and of course, Burnham gets left behind. Right. Yeah. Um, she has the blackout, and she wakes up, and she sees the image of the angel, which in my notes is listed as the vagina eyeball angel. Right, of course. I forgot about the... Jen? I know. I'd forgotten about that, and now you've put it back into my brain. <laughs> it's just a brief moment. The other images of it are much more, like, angel, and it almost looks insectoid- 
at a yes. bit there. And then Pike, of course, bursts through it, her image. Mm-hmm. And they have the very interesting rock that won't beam up. And they get back to the ship and they manage to scoop up an asteroid. Yeah, that was cool. That was very cool. And how um, Stamets kind of got intrigued by the whole thing again and mm-hmm. got back into it. That was good. That was good. Yeah, that was very good. Uh, I love that Pike was like, well, my part of the mission is done. And then he was very gracious when he handed back command to Saru. I didn't understand. Like, I mean, I understood this plot point, but like mm-hmm. they were heading to Vulcan to pick up a new captain anyways. Saru was never going to be the captain. So I, they seem to be playing that Saru. Well, Saru at the time had command of the ship. No, I know. So he wasn't. Like, he didn't have the rank of captain, but he was in charge. No, I, I, I know that, but... Okay, okay. He, they seem to be playing like like Pike came in and took something from Saru. Mm-hmm. But, like, mm-hmm, they were... did. But they were going to get a new captain anyway, so, like, Saru wasn't going to be keeping that position either way. Mm-hmm. So I don't no. see why they played this so hard. It didn't make... I, like, I don't see Saru caring that much. I think it has more to do with, like, Saru had command of the ship to take it to Vulcan to get its captain. And then his that whole mission got taken over by Pike. Mm-hmm. And when it, that has to happen, I think the person coming in can be an asshole about it or not. And I think they were really demonstrating that Pike is really aware of... The potential sensitive um, dynamics of the crew, especially considering that they had Lorca, who betrayed them, and he is just making extra sure that he's not stepping on toes. He is making sure that he has their trust. He's not going to keep command of the ship, um, especially because he and Saru are kind of working together. Right, but then at the like, I could jump on board if he actually did leave the ship afterwards, but he doesn't. He stays on as captain, and he and then he mentions, you know, sharing with Saru, and that doesn't that doesn't work now that he actually is the captain. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. I just feel like they played that too hard, and I don't think it really mattered. Hmm. Okay. See, I liked that part. I think it's sh- like Pike is making the whole crew basically fall in love with him. I liked that he gave, gave, I don't know how to explain this. I liked that he gave command back to Saru when, mm-hmm. when the mission was done. What I just don't understand was this overarching sort of um, detail on the relationship between the two of them it seemed to be playing that Saru would be resentful of him coming in and taking command when mm. their whole mission was to go find someone to take command. Mm. Okay. That's all. Okay, that's fair. Pike finds a fortune. Did you read the fortune? I did, but I didn't write down what it said, so I have, of course, forgotten it. It said, not every cage is a prison, nor every loss eternal. Right, yes. I did write down seems foreshadowing. Yeah, so that's a sort of deep cut reference to Pike, but also, I think, sort of hints to Culber's situation. Oh, see. Potentially, I was... uh, I was going to say potentially for Giorgio. I was kind of hoping it was foreshadowing for, you know, Lorca. Oh, okay. That could also be. 
I mean, the cage reference is clearly Pike because the pilot of the end of right, yes. Star Trek was the cage, blah, blah, blah. So uh, I liked that re- reference. And yeah, I just thought there was so many things that that could be foreshadowing. Um, here we get the reveal that Spock and Burnham have no relationship because of her. Yes, I'm interested to know more about that. Yeah. And Pike explains that he took leave, and we get a bit into how they missed the war because they were on a five-year mission, and I thought that this really dovetailed nicely with what we see of Pike in the cage from the original series. I remember nothing. That's okay. You don't have to. Um, I was talking about this with my friend today, and when she saw the Enterprise, she was expecting Kirk. And so she was extremely disappointed, and I was like, okay, you have to go back and watch The Cage. And I normally wouldn't tell anyone to go back and watch the original series, except I think that you will then like the season two opener much better. So I watched the first, like, ten minutes of this episode twice, because mine cut my... Well, because mm-hmm. I did. And mm-hmm. the first time I watched it, I completely missed that they did say, like, somebody's going to come get the Enterprise. And the whole time I was just like, are are they just leaving it there? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> like what's happening? I was so confused. I thought this was just this, like, big gaping plot hole. Um, right. Just, yeah, let's leave the ship and the crew of 200 people. Yeah. I was like, what the fuck? And and I was like, why was there a just dis- like, or I thought the ship was fine and that they were mm-hmm. just going to fly away. But then I was like, so why was there a distress signal? What's going on? Anyways, the second time I watched it, I picked up on how they said somebody was going to come get them and tow them oh, back. Good. And I was like, oh, I'm just an idiot. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, and then at the very end of the episode is when Burnham gets to go into Spock's quarters. Um. We get some really good set dressing flashbacks to scenes from Spock's quarters that were from the original series. When Burnham strokes, she goes by those bells. Um, Somebody online posted a picture of an original series episode where you can see basically those bells on the wall of his quarters. Um, He's got chess there. She, of course, just walks up and accesses his personal logs. And I'm like, really? Yeah, I think you are the reason you have no relationship with Spock. Uh, I mean, <laughs> anyway. My, hmm. I mean, like, I get that she thinks that something is wrong and all of that. But it's like, if you tell your family, I'm taking an extended vacation, and you leave, and then, like, a family member comes into town and was like, oh, she's gone on an extended vacation, and your landlord lets you into your house... And they start just rifling through your personal diaries. I was like, anyway. No, you're right. But it's fiction. And it is. I know. We needed the information. We did. We did. And we got that great parallel scene. Yes. Yes. Where she like pulls out the the hologram thing that he's encoded in there. And it's, yeah, this diagram of the signals. And suddenly it's like, oh, it's all connected. It's Everything's connected. What's going on? What's going to happen? How are we going to find these signals and find Spock and get to the end of it? I feel like searching for Spock is a big Star Trek theme that maybe they should retire. 
I think so as well. I mean, I'm liking this story so far. Yeah, so um, it just seems like maybe maybe Spock should get lost less. Yeah. He's Good advice. Supposed to be all smart and shit. That was like when uh, the original thing, the original promos and stuff came out for this. I can remember a meme going around of somebody needs to put a bell on Spock. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that is the rundown of the episode. I'm very excited for next week's. Yeah. So am I. At the time we're recording this, I guess it's this week's because we were late. It's days away. Um, yeah, so hopefully, hopefully all of the episodes for season two are at least close to being of this caliber. Hopefully, yes. Mm-hmm. But even in, like, my favorite TV shows, episode quality goes up and down. Yes, I know. Okay, so next week's episode is called New Eden. Interesting. Yes. And if the IMDb picture is accurate, it features an away mission. Um, I think I see a Woshikun and the communications officer, whose name I can't remember, in the background. Oh, and it's directed by Jonathan Frakes. Yes. Yes. Now, notable things we did not see in this episode were Klingons. We got a brief mention of Lorel. We did. High Chancellor Lorel, mm-hmm. I think, is her title now. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if next week's episode we'll see some Klingons. And well, we got to give them there. time to grow out their hair. Oh, true. That is true. Maybe <laughs> there's some growth serum that they use. I wouldn't mind trying some of that out. <laughs> I mean, if you think about the medical technology they use to transform. Uh, but that was kind of mystical, medical, you know, to that house in particular. Yeah, but Laurel's of that house. She could super grow her hair. That's fair. As well. Especially if she wants, like, an awesome, like, chancellor yeah. hairdo. She wants to be the baddest bitch. Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, was there anything else about the episode that you wanted to discuss? Uh, I think we covered it all. Yeah, I think that was good. I really am enjoying Pike. Me too. Glad he's sticking around. Yeah. But I think from the previews that we've seen, we're going to get to see a bit more on Enterprise, aren't we? Maybe in flashbacks, I guess? Um, I don't know if we're going to get to see a bit more. Maybe a little well, bit more on Enterprise. we have to, because what's your face playing number one? Number two, number... Number one. Number whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that takes place on the Enterprise or if she is on Discovery for some reason at that point. I have it in my head that the scene we've seen has them in the colorful uniforms. Okay. I could be wrong. Maybe maybe Pike is in the Discovery uniform. But mm-hmm. I don't... I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I sound so confident. Anyways, I just quickly wanted to put a short segment here at the end where I run down some of the Star Trek Easter eggs. So, um, this this episode had all the species. Uh, Commander Nan is a Barzan. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
this was a race featured in the Star Trek Next Generation episode, The Price, in which a wormhole is discovered in their space. Uh, when Connolly is trying to tell everybody that he knows how to fly and his roommate was a Cassian, and he's going to tell them what he told, you know, blah, 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 about to be sexist and is overall a jerk. The Cassians are the cat species that were featured in the animated series. Okay. So that's a reference to that. Uh, when we're down on the planet and uh, Commander is... Uh, Commander Reno, is that her name? Yes, I think that's her name. Uh, she's like, oh, I'm just up to my elbows in Tellarite brains. So the Tellarites are another species from the original series as well. And then, of course, Linus is a Saurian. So um, those were the species I caught. And then uh, somebody else did point out that visor prototype as well. And yeah, I think that's all the major ones, aside from, of course, the obvious uniforms and all of that. Interesting. Yeah. Shall we recommendations? Sure. Do you have a recommendation this week? I do. You want to go first or do you want me to go first? Oh, it doesn't matter. I think you went first last time, so I'll go. Okay. Um, so some of you may know, I was at PodCon this last weekend, and mm -hmm. while there, I discovered a new-to-me podcast called Punch Up the Jam, which is done by uh, two friends named Demi and Miel, and I think that's how you pronounce her name, Miel, Miel, uh, shoot. Anyways, it is hilarious. They basically examine songs that are either bad or just have weird lyrics or just are weird and they just goof on them for a bit and then they like redo them at the end so that they make more sense quote unquote and it's they're both very funny and very talented and it is hilarious that does sound entertaining and now i have like some awesome 90s music running through my head oh they do some good 90s stuff <laughs> okay um that sounds awesome uh, my recommendation this week is sort of an offshoot from the podcast world. Uh, one of the podcasts, one of the podcasts I listen to called Way Too Seriously, mm -hmm. uh, run by Jan and Paul. Mm -hmm. uh, Paul is actually a university professor, and he has decided to open like an online school because he's really passionate about literature and pop culture. And so he has opened Clockworks Academy. And there is a cost to the courses. But again, he's preparing, you know, university level lectures. And his first set of courses is featuring, like, the monsters of literature. Mm -hmm. So he's starting off with Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Cool. And then he's got one on... Oh, what's the next one? I know he's got one for zombies. He's got one for uh, Dracula, I think is the one after that. Anyway, there's five in total. Um, so he's going to be doing some literary analysis on it. And then also talking about like adaptations and how we see these in pop culture coming up and things like that. Um, so yeah, so if that sounds like something you're interested in and you uh, want to sign up, I will try and send out a link. You can search for Clockworks Academy. Uh, the cost of each course is about 100 bucks US. And there's a discount if you sign up for more than one. I'm going to very optimistically say I will put a link in the show notes. Yeah. 
I check when Kate posts, and I'll try and remember if she hasn't put a link in the show notes to do a blog post afterwards with some links in it for the show notes. But yeah, and I think I might sign up for it once my current course is done, because I'll have a break over the summer where I could theoretically take a course. Alrighty, shall we, shall we sign off? Sure. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments you would like to share, you can contact us at a command of her own at gmail.com, or you can reach out to us on Twitter at command of her own. And you can also see some of the things we've posted on Instagram, instagram.com slash a command of her own. And we'll see you all next week for episode two. Yes. Oh, and oh, wait, sorry. What? Everybody out there, let us know what you thought of the season premiere. Yeah, yeah, I know some of you watched it and we're kind of waiting to not spoil Kate on it. I appreciate all of you. I am so ready for a flood of Twitter conversations now. Yes, let's do it. Yes. Okay. okay. Bye. Bye. I, I actually waved my hand when I said bye. <laughs>